From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast here at LondonNewsToday.ca, ClassicRock981.com, and on your favorite podcast app. Of course, the Craig Needles Podcast is brought to you by Clearview Auto Glass, and we've been talking a lot about London's homeless hubs lately, and I keep getting questions about it via email, on Twitter, when I was on the air last week, people texting the Classic Rock line wanted to ask me questions about it, so I said, who better to discuss what's going to happen at these hubs with than the people who are going to be uh, responsible for writing them and put the plan together? So, Pam Hill has been kind enough to join us on the podcast today. She's with the Canadian Mental Health Association, Thames Valley, and joins us to uh, have a conversation about that right now. Uh, Pam, thank you so much for for doing this today. We really appreciate it. You're quite welcome, Craig. Uh, so, look, I was watching the debates and the discussions at Council pretty closely. Yeah. I'm sure you were too. I'm sure you were looking at agendas and saw letters and things along those lines. And a lot of the talk, a lot of the conversation was focused on the hub that's going to be at 705 Fanshawe Park Road. I want to talk about both of the locations that we're, we're, we're going to be running here. But first, 705 Fanshawe Park Road. What's going to be happening there? I think that there are a lot, there's a lot of misconceptions. So tell us for real what's going to be going on. What's going to be happening at 705 Fanshawe, uh, once we have the rezoning in place for that, because that's certainly been an mm-hmm. issue that's come up, um, is that we will be uh, providing safe space for women who wish to exit uh, living downtown, people, women who are, or women identified folks who are um, homeless folks and need a place to truly stabilize and become ready for permanent long-term housing. So we're, we're going to be helping people be safe to get off of the streets, to get access to health care, to get access to the kinds of supports that they need so that they're not in a subsist, uh, kind of a survival living mode all the time. Um, it's going to be an extension of work that we've actually been doing for many years but with a brand new opportunity and with a lot more partners from the, the whole community to help that work happen. And it's, it sounds like it's going to be, I think, a, a plan there, and we've talked about this with the whole of community response for a long time here, a plan that a lot of experts in a lot of fields have looked at and said, yeah, you know what, this makes sense to us. Yeah, it, it absolutely is that. Um, the work that has happened at my sister's place and with uh, the street level women at risk uh, program, with m- numerous programs um, connected with violence against women sector, all of the organizations that are in this social services and health area have worked on these issues for many years. And, and in many ways it was done quietly and not in the gaze of the public because who needs their life on display like that? Right. Of course. But uh, COVID really did get people um, who were living kind of, um, you know, couch surfing or looking for temporary safe spaces or even unsafe spaces, they were much more exposed to uh, the public's eye. And, you know, economically, things got worse. So the problem has just really reached a peak. And the community has stepped to stepped up, come together to try and create the kind of response that in many ways we have needed for years. But this is just a profound opportunity to pull resources and expertise together utilize the lessons that we've learned over the years and to do better for these women, for these families, for the loved ones and the communities that these people belong to. Um, they are, they are, they're our community as well. 
They, they certainly are. And I think that the vast majority of people recognize that. And I think that we all acknowledge that we need to do something. But I think that a lot of the the conversation surrounding this got hijacked by, well, I want us to do something, just not near where I live. But I, I don't see this as a security risk. I don't see this as something that would cause harm in the neighborhood. What's going to be going on there? Maybe, I guess, try to alleviate some of those fears, because I know I've talked to people who have helped set up these hubs, and, and they don't think it's going to be a problem in the neighborhood. Yeah, I, I do think that it is fear about what will happen there. And it's, it's probably because once again, we've we've tended to think that homelessness is visible in the, only the downtown areas, and pretty well everybody knows that that's no longer true as well. So what's going to be happening is is really basic life stuff. Um, many of the people who will arrive there will have already been uh, initially engaged at my sister's place. The model that we're using is a hybrid model, but it's completely consistent with the overall uh, whole of community response hub plan. So women who uh, just need really basic necessities are going to be able to access those um, in one overnight kind of thing. But as soon as they are uh, expressing an interest in getting more stabilized um, and are willing to engage with the staff that we will have there, the security folks that we'll have there, they will be able to have their own private space. Uh, these are one-bedroom units for the most part um, that have a washroom that have a bed, that have a TV, that have access to the internet. And so they will be supported by staff to get some rest, get some food, you know, just basically recover from living rough. And um, once people have that and they feel better and they get connected with healthcare services, other kinds of support services, maybe income supports, if they're not all already connected to those, they're going to have a strength of a basis from which to make good life choices, good for them. And what's good for them is going to be good for all of us. Uh, but otherwise, it's it's kind of a day-to-day -day thing when you when you don't have the energy, you don't have the nutrition, you don't have the support to make other changes. You just, um, you know, it, it's, it's a futile effort. And uh, people are at grave risk when they're in those kinds of situations. So we're... What's going to be happening there is incredibly ordinary life events that all of us do, you know, sleeping, eating, uh, connecting with friends, making plans, um, getting health care connections. Um, and, and it's going to be happening in a safe and secure place. What's wrong? And I do want to address oh, I do ahead. want to address the issue of safety and security because um, we're absolutely concerned about that. We are going to have staff members who are there. We need them to be safe. We want them to work there and we want them to want to work there. Um, so we're concerned about safety. We're concerned about the safety of the people who will take part in the program because right now they are extremely vulnerable and with a roof over their head and some security around food, around uh, presence of staff, presence of support. We think they're going to be much safer. We know they're going to be much safer. And um, it's nobody's goal to cause trouble, uh, in my opinion and in my experience. So they're going to be trying to get on with their life. Um, the, we don't. We can't predict everything that's going to happen, but that's what we anticipate and that's what we plan to facilitate. I, I'm, I'm very hopeful about what's going to happen here. Uh, I did receive a lot of questions about 
harm reduction and what the rules are going to be when it comes to drug usage, alcohol yeah. consumption, things along those lines within there. Uh, and, and, and I understand why there are going to be those questions, not even necessarily on behalf of the community, because I don't think it really matters to someone who's living a few blocks away whether there's going to be drug use there. I think it does, however, matter to people who are living there, what kind of environment they're in. So what's, what are the rules surrounding that going to be for the folks who are staying there? Yeah, so you you mentioned the term harm reduction, and that's a really critical piece of how we do our work because we need to meet people where they're at. And if people are currently using substances, um, asking them to stop using substances in order to be entitled to a roof over their head or food in their belly, that's that's not fair. And it's also not realistic. It's not going to build the trust that we need to build in order for them to, to take next steps. So People will be asked to, they'll be required to sign an agreement that will have some ground rules about um, how they will behave in this location because it's not, I mean, even if you rent a motel room, there are definitely rules by which people need to abide. Absolutely. And this is going to be more than that. This can be a program in which people need to participate and they will be checked on on a regular basis. So from from a harm reduction standpoint, we're going to support people all the way along sort of the range of use. Some people want to stop as, as soon as possible at all. Some people are going to want to get treatment and we're going to support that. Um, some people are going to need to continue to use until we find other ways to manage the pain or to um, help them cope with life. I mean, one of, one of the things that the public often misunderstands about opioids is that people don't typically use them to get high. They use them to avoid withdrawal pain. And it is a terrible, uh, withdrawal is a terrible flu, uh, worst flu you've ever had kind of experience. And so they need to use it again in order to just take that pain away. So we're going to you know, be knowledgeable, help people understand that better and find options for them that will work. Um, in the meantime, we'll connect them to supports around safer safer uh, equipment, uh, to medical treatments and that sort of thing so that they have choices. The biggest risk for many people right now with the toxic uh, supplies that are on the street is death through uh, overdose or it isn't overdose per se. It's actually poisoning because people are not sure of what they're getting. And um, so we also know that when people try to stop using substances, if they reduce their tolerance for that substance, the next time they use, they're at a greater risk for overdose. Or if they get a toxic supply, they're at a risk for uh, uh, complications or death. So um, having that awareness, we'll be able to check on people frequently. We'll be able to use opportunities uh, that just on day-to-day -day activities where we can learn and, and make different choices, consider options, and support people through that process. And and that's the thing. I think that if you set up a hub and say, okay, the following things are not allowed and it's very, very strict and things along those lines. And it's someone who may be going through withdrawal. You're going to have people that are just not able to go there and you're going to be closing the door to a lot of people right away, sadly. And addiction is obviously part of the conversation when we're talking about what's going on with people who are dealing with homelessness. Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty common experience in, in the 
population of people who are without housing. Um, that's some of the expertise that we bring. It's some of the expertise that our other partners bring. Uh, London's a pretty amazing community in terms of how well-connected partners are and how we can help people get to the care that they need. Um, the whole of community response has simply brought additional resources to the table that's that's helping with things like the housing uh, that is just not available. And, and that is the absolute key to helping people make progress. So, you know, we're um, we're we're very convinced that we can make this a good location for these individuals and for the community. Um, and we're that's our commitment to do that to be there and have eyes on, not only eyes on, but hearts present, ears open, all of the things that we need to do so that uh, we're aware of what's happening and the, the women who access the space will get what they need to, uh, to be well and eventually to thrive. Uh, this may be something that Canadian Mental Health Association wouldn't want to do, and you can tell me, but it's, is there a space, do you think, because we, we want to do up to 15 hubs we were talking about, is there a space for one of them to be a hub where uh, those with addiction issues perhaps shouldn't be going and it's a hub where there is not uh, uh, harm reduction like policies in place? Or do you think that that just would be an unsuccessful idea from the get-go in your estimation? I think the biggest thing is to make whatever hubs we have low barrier. Right. Uh, like th with 15 of them, what we're doing is starting with the ones that were that made the most sense. Every one of those first three hubs are being offered by organizations that already have a great deal of expertise in this area. Yep. And in many ways, it's an extension of our work. So when uh, whether or not we should have an addictions only or a no addictions, no substance use place, I think you know one of the things that we've needed to say as we were going through this process is we're building the bridge as we cross it. Uh, I think that that's a reasonable question for us to hold as a collective uh, to see if that is in fact a need. In, in my experience, I think that um, there are some opportunities, you know, the Center of Hope has a recovery center where people who've chosen to be substance free and sober can get some housing there. Now, they're not well funded for that at all. Um, but maybe that's something that will happen in the course of this entire whole of community response. I don't know. But we, we do need to create options so that people can match their needs um, with the communities where they will find themselves living. So I, I don't think it's out of the question. Um, are are we people are are affected by substances now if they're living on the street, and we're just going to take it a little bit further uh, out of out of you know out of their faces, so to speak, so that there is more of an opportunity for choice and more of an opportunity for change when change is appropriate. Yeah, and I think that 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 makes a lot of sense when you say you know meet people where they're at. And I think that's what, exactly what we should be doing. Uh, let's talk about what's going on at uh, at my sister's place before we wrap up here, because there's going to be a hub there as well. Uh, I know that there were people uh, in Northwest London that were saying, well, this this hub, you know, at uh, at seven hundred five Fanshawe Park Road is going to become sort of a, a spot where negative stuff happens, like the hub at my sister's place. I kind of reject that characterization. I think the the hub, uh, the people at my sister's place are are professionals who do uh, a fantastic job of what they have. And I've heard that exclusively from uh, from anyone who I discuss yeah. it with. So what's what's the, the hub at my sister's place going to be like and how is that going yeah. to function? Yeah. Well, if we're getting things factually correct yes. here, Craig, which is the opportunity that you're giving me, is that my sister's place and Fanshawe Park Road are one, they're one 
hub altogether right. with two parts to it. In the perfect world scenario that was presented to council, they would have been in one location, but honestly, there wasn't... Um, you needed the square footage and you couldn't find it, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, especially in the time frame that we had and, you know, it's cold outside and all that sort of thing. So we had to really get moving on this. So we have presented a hybrid model and the front door is my sister's place. That's the place where people can get a meal, they can get a shower, they can have a rest, they can um, make a connection with somebody. It will be there that many of the women uh, are identified. Also other places, there's multiple points of entry, but the second stage is the hub, is the portion of the hub that is at uh, Fanshawe Park Road. So the beds at uh, the beds that are being added to my sister's place, it did not, it doesn't currently have beds, overnight beds. Um, on the radio, you can't see my air quotes because we—that's <laughs> the way we uh, we uh, count things often in the health sector is by beds. But really, it was not a place for women to stay overnight. It was an immediate needs, immediate response uh, place. Now there's going to be space, uh, some space there for overnight, but short term. And then um, you're right, carrying on the work that has already been done because it is so much more than just a place to be. It is absolutely a place to be, but it's a sense of belonging. It's a connection with other women um, and women who are at different stages of making change in their life, um, you know, going forward, sometimes falling back, but a strong sense of others who understand what they're going through and will be uh, helpful and supportive and just inspire each other to do better. So you're right. My sister's place actually is in a location that has a lot of residential around mm -hmm. it. Yep. We uh, we know that it's accepted and supported and, and celebrated in the neighborhood because it has made such a difference to the folks who go there and it has reduced the problematic um, has it eliminated them? No, but it's reduced the problematic behaviors that would be attached to people not having a place to go and a place where, um, to a place where they can be supported. So let's talk about what the transition is going to be like. You mentioned sort of the uh, the the spot at my sister's place can be getting in the door. Maybe you spend a little bit of time at seven hundred five Fanshawe Park Road. Where So where might people go from there and how quickly might they go from there? Or is that something that would be, I guess, decided on a case-by-case -case basis? Well, I think it absolutely will be decided on a case-by-case -case basis. But one of the reasons that this whole of community response was incredibly important is we already had a number of programs that were doing almost this kind of work. Well, I shouldn't even say almost. They do this work where people are engaged, they get a little bit of what they need, and they build some trust with their workers, and then they could move into housing first programming. There's a number of those, and we're not the only organization that does that. But what has happened is that all of the uh, market housing has dried up and, and become so expensive that nobody had access to it. So we've kind of got a logjam or a gridlock around housing. And that's why the whole of community response is important because there's a whole other section of that response that's working collectively with developers and the city and organizations that do housing to increase housing. I mean, we've heard it at every level level of the of the government. Uh, this need for more housing, and so when people are are at uh, the lighthouse. If they find a place to go, if their lives come together in such a way that they can go and live with family members or something, then we'll help them do that. Um, if they 
need to, you know, be on a list for housing, we're going to support that. We know that there's already, there's, there's been a number of housing developments that have been in the works for years. Indwell has a number of places and every time new spaces open up, that's another place for people to go. So in many ways, this uh, whole of community response has a lot of moving parts. It's got immediate kinds of responses that we need to do and this is one of them and it's got longer term responses that are going to help us make this a whole continuum of response for housing and and you know in the long run we really hope that it will create a process where we'll just have less homeless people they won't need to be um you know falling to the streets and then pulled out of the streets like it just shouldn't happen it should never happen in the first place but this is a correction as a as a as a society and as a community. Uh, Pam, I want to ask you about one more thing. and I've taken up a little bit more of your time than I said I would, but this is an important conversation. I'm glad we're kind of having a, uh, a, a fulsome one here. Uh, there are going to be, hopefully, a decent number of people who go in and out of this uh, of this hub because we hear, okay, there's going to be 20 beds at Fanshawe Park Road, but that doesn't mean there's going to be 20 people that go there through the course of the year. It's going to right. be a number that's higher than that. They're going to work through there, we hope. How many people are you hoping would go through there through the course of the year? Or are those types of projections something you've done? Those projections are really hard to calculate. Um, you know, we're really at the very initial steps and, and even just doing community engagement initial steps. But <clears throat> what we do know is that some people will come there and they'll say, no, I can't live with these rules or I need to do something else. Or maybe they will maybe they will be uh, candidates for some of the new spaces that open up and they'll be able to move along more quickly than anticipated. Um, the other thing is sometimes when people do stabilize, they make progress very rapidly. They They may choose to relocate in another community if they have family or friends there. Uh, people may be able to uh, put resources together and find their own accommodations with with uh, friends or or other uh, family members or something. So, it's it's very hard to project what that will be. Um, our goal is to help people stabilize enough and to gather enough skills. You know, for some people, it will be reclaiming skills they already had. For some, it will be learning skills they never had, basic life skills. But also things like guest management. Who do you let into your home and not let into your home? How do you get them to leave if you don't want them there? Uh, how to manage money in a way that you're paying your landlord, um, bills, all that sort of thing. So these are things that that absolutely are skills that many people take for granted because we do them all the time. But if that's not something you've had either the responsibility or, in fact, the privilege to do, um, you're going to need help to get in the patterns and understand how to do that to be ready to even move into an apartment or a supported housing unit as well. So um, it's a little unpredictable. We certainly anticipate it'll be more than 20 people in a year. Um, if it was permanent housing, then that would be, um, you know, we would be looking at 20 to 30 people in a year. This is, in fact, transitional housing. And when people are ready to go, we will be helping them to move to a next place. And I anticipate continuing support. And that's one of the things that my sister's place is really good about. You don't just go there and get what you need and then move along. You can. But many women will um, come back when they when they 
need assistance or when they just want to connect and have that sense of belonging, uh, feel good about themselves, do some recreational activities, things that um, happen in a safe place with other people who understand their stories where they don't have to feel the stigma of criticism and judgment. And, and I have so much empathy for, for people right now who are aware of the you know, they can hear the support of the community, but they also hear the negative criticisms that feel very, very personal about them. And um, mm-hmm. they're, they're probably, you know, people that are doing be, the that, best that they can. That would be hard to hear if someone, mm-hmm. if you, if there's a conversation about, okay, someone who might be in, in your situation is coming to live in a neighborhood and then that neighborhood reacts with torches and pitchforks, essentially, metaphorically speaking, yeah. that would be difficult. That wouldn't be easy at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, the folks that we want to work with and support I, uh, definitely experience feeling unwanted. And that's too um, bad. Yeah, it is too bad. And, and uh, you know, sometimes it's not obvious who folks are either because uh, people are very, very good at, at covering up until they can't anymore. Right. Once you're actually living um, rough all the time, it's pretty hard to not be noticeable as a, as a homeless person. Yeah, that's, uh, that's part of it as well. Uh, Pam, thank you so much for this conversation. Is there anything else that, that we haven't gotten to that you really think uh, people need to know about or you want us to discuss before we, uh, before we wrap up our discussion here? Um, I think the only other thing is that we absolutely do want to engage with the community. Um, up until this point, it's been a concept. And we've been doing this work at my sister's place and other housing programs for years. But this is a new location. And so we understand that people are going to have some anxiety about that and think about what does that mean for me personally. Um, we are, we're absolutely going to be uh, promoting some information sessions. We don't have a schedule for that yet. It's all very – it just passed on uh, Thursday night. And um, – and we've got some work to do before we can move through to our next steps. But the community, we want them to be um, engaged as much as possible. We want them to understand what's happening there uh, because we also know that the people who will live there need to, need to not feel unwanted. Um, this is actually going to be good for them and, and good for the community in the long run. So we're very excited about this work. We're excited about the opportunity to extend the work that we've been doing in a new way and in a, in a bigger um, community response. So looking forward to that, actually. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it, too. And I, and I, and I wish uh, Canadian Mental Health Association and everyone involved with what's going on, both at My Sister's Place and Fanshawe Park Road, the absolute best of luck with all this going forward, with the rezoning. And then once uh, things start getting up and going, uh, both uh, on Dundas uh, in December and uh, in May for uh, what's going to be happening on Fanshawe Park Road. Pam, thank you so much for this. You're welcome, Craig. Thank you. So that's Pam Hill. And Pam is the director of London, North Middlesex and Huron region for the Canadian Mental Health Association. And they're the ones who are going to be running that hub on Fanshawe Park Road and the one over by my sister's place as well. And I've gotten a whole lot of people getting into my Twitter mentions and sending me emails, like I said, saying, well, this is going to be bad. This isn't going to work. I, I can't sit here and tell you I know for sure it's going to work perfectly. I can't. But I can tell you it's the best we're going to do in the short term and time matters here when we're talking about this, because if we don't have beds this winter, 
people will die. And the sad thing is, this is the sad reality, people are going to die on the streets in London this winter, no matter what we do in the short term here. There is no way that we can solve this problem quickly enough for that number to be zero. That's a sad, sad commentary on the situation, but that's the truth. That's what's going on. So my hope would be, let's try to limit that number as much as we can. And if we threw out the Canadian Mental Health Association's RFP, we would be going against limiting that. We would be steering into more death. You can be as mad at me as you want about locations and, well, what about the motel ownership? I don't understand that criticism. But if we threw out that RFP, it's highly likely that someone who will now survive this winter wouldn't have survived it. I wouldn't want to sleep with that on my conscience. And thankfully, members of London City Council don't have to worry about it because the ones who uh, wanted to throw out this RFP got outvoted. So that's good. I'm glad they did. Now we are in this situation. There's going to be a rezoning conversation. And let me tell you folks, I make fun of the nimbyism at rezoning and planning meetings all the time on Twitter. It's one of my favorite things to do, to watch meetings and make fun of people who have terrible ideas at those meetings. This one is going to be perhaps the worst one we've seen. It's going to be bad. There is going to be all sorts of awful things said about the women who are going to spend time staying at this hub. Terrible, indefensible things will be said about these women. We don't even know exactly who they are right now, but terrible things are going to be said about them. And that makes me sad. That sucks. That's not what we want to hear. That's exactly how this is going to go. So whenever that occurs, be prepared for how that's going to sound, but it's not going to sound good. Is this plan perfect? No. Is this plan above criticism? No. I'm not telling you that. Of course, we can try to criticize things because criticism, when done properly, is a hope for trying to make something better. Again, when done properly, when done constructively. But the options of let's not do this or let's do this, those are the only two in front of council this month. I'm glad we picked let's do this. That was the better of the options. It was the more sensible one. So let's see what happens with the rezoning conversation and with the hubs and that come online. But I wish the people with Canadian Mental Health Association nothing but the best when it comes to how that hub is going to operate. And I feel the same way about YOU and Adelosa as well. Of course I do. The reason why I wanted to get Pam on from CMHA was that was the hub that was kind of the, up, not kind of, certainly the lightning rod from a public criticism perspective. I don't think anyone had any, anything negative to say, at least that I saw, about the hubs that YOU and Adelosa were proposing. As far as locations go, as far as what's going to be going on there. Uh, I was interested in her response when it comes to uh, drug usage at the hub. And, and there's her ex explanation. You can take it to the bank. You can reject it. You can do what you want with that, dear listener. Uh, I think it makes sense. Uh, should there be a hub where there is no drug use permitted for someone who is trying to shake addiction? Yes, I think that something like that should exist. That should be an option as long as we are woefully and desperately short 
of rehabilitation spaces, voluntary rehabilitation spaces in this community. And we are woefully and desperately short on those things. I'm very much pro rehab. I just think that forced rehabilitation, and we've talked about this online, forced rehabilitation is just never going to be successful. So let's have it be a voluntary situation because forced, it ain't going to work. That's all the time we have here on the Craig Needles podcast, which of course can be found at classicrock981.com and londonnewstoday.ca, plus your favorite podcast app. The Craig Needles podcast is brought to you by Clearview Autoglass. With a bit of bad luck, your windshield took one for the team and you've got to get it replaced. The good luck is you've got Clearview Autoglass. Certified in OptiAIM Lane Departure Camera Calibration Service, Clearview Autoglass will replace your windshield quickly and safely to ensure the integrity of your vehicle. And they will submit your claim directly to your insurance company for you. Plus, they'll give you a $25 gift card. Don't just drive, enjoy the view with Clearview Autoglass. 540 Clark Road and clearviewautoglasslondon.ca. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.